0: Welcome to the Mindful Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm with my co-host, as always, Edwin. What's happening, Ed? How's things? Yeah,
1: you know what? Well, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's been, um, it's been a productive day. Um, I've got a lot done. So, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. Usually, I talk about me having my workouts, whether I've done it or not. But um, I'll slightly change it today. So, I'm still recovering from... At the time of recording, I'm, I'm recovering from Josh... Warrington, those of you that are interested in boxing, uh, he got knocked out by an unknown Mexican. But one thing I would say, if there are any aspiring British boxers, one thing you should always learn, do not try and fight a Mexican. That is one <laughs> thing you should never do. Yeah, Always stay on that back foot, use that jab. You never try and fight a Mexican. But anyway, I digress so today we've got uh, we've got another guest we've got we've been privileged in the guests we've had so far and we're privileged today with another excellent excellent guest who has played you know um a very very high level of football and we're really honored to have him to share his stories and really just tell us and tell you know young people who are who potentially will be listening um what you should do and what maybe you should consider not doing So without further ado, I just want to say a massive, massive, massive warm welcome to Tyrus. So thank you, sir. And how are you? No problem. Thank you for having me. I am all good, man. I'm all good. How are you two today? Yeah, I'm all right. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Good, good, good. So usually we start off with the question on lockdown, how you've been coping, how you've been dealing with it. But I want to switch it up a little bit. So... What is the biggest learning curve that you have had or you've received since this lockdown? For me, in this learning curve, I have learned that um, probably
2: you don't have to be productive to be productive, is what I'd say. You know, there was a lot of people that are doing 5Ks and 10Ks and posting it all over their social media. And I realised to myself, equally, there's a lot of people that are staying in bed and not doing much. And this this is because that is what heals them, you know, for, for other people doing the 10K is what, he, what heals them and what calms them down. And for for so some others, just chilling out is what they need. So, you know, being productive is not really being productive, but it is being productive, if you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, essentially it's all relative really, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's all, um, it's all uh, relevant to everyone else's different cases, different things they're going through, you know.
0: So yeah,
2: I've just learned to just do what makes me happy and do what makes me feel good at this time.
0: Cool. And um, I guess let's get into your your sporting background. So tell us, ex- let's explore the potential sports you was interested in, and yeah, how did you come about getting into those sports?
2: Yeah. So um, as I've been a footballer for my whole life, basically, but, um, from primary school. Up to secondary, I was just athletic. Anything you threw me in, I kind of did, and I was good at it. My main things that I was doing was 100 metres and football, but I chose to take up football because uh, one of my uncles played semi-pro, and I used to go and watch him every Sunday. Okay. And um, he's he's probably the reason why I started kicking the ball. Okay. That's that's how I got into the Sunday league side of it. And for a friend, for, um, friends they taught me to, a semi pro team, obviously, when I was younger, I didn't have the confidence to think to myself, oh, I'll be good enough to play at that level. Oh. And when it took me there, I just did my thing and took me through. It took me right through to now when I'm still playing.
1: And you, you mentioned the confidence, um, which is obviously a big thing in sport. Yeah. When did you start to believe, okay, I have the confidence to play at the level that you didn't initially expect to play in?
2: Um, I think it got to a point where where my friend took me to the semi pro team, and other people started to say that I was good. I didn't really have the self belief in myself. Every, people when I was in school, primary school, things like that, used to tell me I was good, but I was it was primary ages, so I didn't really take these things on board. And when I got up through secondary school, and the teacher used to be like, "Oh, we need to get Tyrus in the team. He's star player." that's when I kind of realized that, yeah, okay, starting to make a bit of noise. So maybe what people are telling me is actually true and that's where I got the confidence when I started hearing other people saying it
0: there's something that you mentioned that is really really interesting because it's actually been a common theme when people were younger and um, they didn't have the self belief yeah. so i guess my question to you is where did that come from where was that lack of where did that lack of self belief come from what, what do you think the the root cause for that was
2: uh i mean it's different for different people. For me, my family were always with me through everything I'd done, but they never really pushed me in a sense to say, oh, you're that good at football, so you can go forward with that. I think if I had heard it from family members a bit more, then maybe I would have t- taken a little extra push to get there. But um, yeah, I think hearing it from my friends is cool, but when you hear it from your family, it takes on a different kind of meaning to you.
1: Hundred percent. So, in your early football career, did you have any support from your family? Did they come to any of the games? Did they, did they watch you?
2: Um, well, I started started Sunday league, and my dad was there every single Sunday. My dad was there, but uh, it was a good thing and a bad thing in a sense because my dad's a he's, he's a typical Jamaican dad, so. Anything I do on the pitch is loud, like, yeah, my son, my son. And then anything someone does to me on the pitch is like, yeah, I do, my son? All of, all of that. So there's <laughs> a bit of problems on the side as well as supporting. But he was there. And I think that is kind of the connection we had because he wasn't there a lot for everything else. But like if it was football, he was there. And that kind of that sat on me well. That was something that I really didn't appreciate.
0: So you still... I really want to um, really unpack this um, lack of self belief. So your dad was coming to you to come to your games, and it was a bit of a a gift and a curse. What extra support do you think you needed that would have helped you actually, you know, gain, uh, you know, a heightened self belief?
2: I think at that stage, it was the coaching and the managing was kind of holistic. It wasn't like a structured structured kind of environment well, where my uncle was the manager as well. It was kind of just like a turn up and play kind of thing. And I think to myself, if I had that kind of development of the coaching that kind of gradually, gradually helped me to develop my game, then maybe it would have built up my confidence as well. But um yeah, it was more, more of a turn up and play kind of thing. I didn't really take it too seriously. I think that's equally why I was so good at it. Because I enjoyed it, I just turned up and enjoyed it instead of treating it like it was another job like I did when I got older mm.
1: so in terms of treating it like another job um what what caused it to get to that point where the the love of the game wasn't seen in the same light?
2: um I started to lose love for it when I got to semi pro level. you see you definitely see it from two sides of the coin when you get up there. You you hear them singing your name when you're winning, and you definitely don't hear them when you're when you're losing. <laughs> so um, yeah, it started to become a chore. When it starts to become a chore, that's when the love started to go. There's a there's a lot of politics in semi pro football. Um, I've always said I'd never let my son play semi pro football because um, I'd probably be picking up charges every week. With mm-hmm. <laughs> because the way that players are treated and the way that um, yeah the way that players are handled is it's not good at all it's literally Mm -hmm. not good and I know Ronaldo got in trouble a few months ago for saying that modern day football is like a a slave trade modern day Mm. slave trade Mm. in a sense even though he's paid so much millions and whatever he's fully correct because the the minute that someone comes in that can do your job for better for less you're at the door Mm. and that's essentially what kind of makes you fall out of love with the game. You, you you get into that cycle where you just constantly get knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, even though you're trying your best.
0: Mm. Um, one thing that I really like to explore is that transition. So when you're playing, you know, Saturday or Sunday league and you actually yeah. move up to semi pro, talk to us about the transition in, in terms of, you know, um fitting in with your your new teammates. Oh well, yes, it's a big transition
2: uh, in a sense that it's a different world. It's a different environment. From You go from getting up on a Sunday, enjoying your game with your friends, having a laugh, not taking it too seriously, to a changing room full of guys from different parts of the country sometimes, different egos, different um, morals and principles. Yeah, It's crazy, you know? And um, I made a point. I, I was speaking to someone about this the other day that every changing room I went into, Everybody knew that there was a there was a certain type of banter that I don't get involved with. Okay. And that's the type of thing you have to kind of adjust to. As well as the football side, there's a lot of guys that do a lot of things that you wouldn't really tolerate or get involved in. Yeah. So um I feel like the biggest transitions off the pitch rather than on the pitch, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's it's a lot more physical than semi-pro and it's a lot more structured and organized. But um you you still find the quality players the same quality players from Sunday to Saturday. It's mm. just that it's taken a lot more seriously and it's a lot more structured.
1: And with it being more structured, um, did they ever think about the mental side of um, of the game? Because obviously at a lower level, that's not something that would be discussed. Yeah. Um, but higher up the chain, would, would it be seen in a different light? Would they... Is it something that's discussed?
2: Um... I don't think it was discussed unless there was a real issue that I've been in changing rooms where there's, there's been guys that have been really depressed. And there's things, mainly things that are outside of football, but obviously football's contributing to it. And I think only when you come into the changing room and your head is down or you're in tears or something like that is when the discussion opens. Otherwise than that, I feel like people, managers that I've worked with, it's just an, it's just another game for them. Just come in, you play, you go home. They don't worry about the physical or I mental strain on you at all.
0: So, I mean, we, we've got this, this, this word that, or this phrase that you know a lot of people like to use now. It's um, toxic masculinity. Would you yeah. say that there was a lot of toxic masculinity w- within the changing rooms that almost stopped you know um, individuals from just sh- being a human being? Yeah, I feel like, well, I don't really like to use
2: this. I feel like this toxic word is re- uh, used quite freely Absolutely. and not really cool about. Yep. But um, I'd agree. Maybe there's a lot of egos that block a lot of things in the change room. There's a lot of different characters and a lot of different egos. Sometimes, obviously in society, you would think that it's been made that men that are in touch with their feelings are kind of like a lesser man than the other man. Yep. And yeah, I do feel like in a football change room, there's no place for your feelings. There's no place for any form of tears or whatever. I've I've been in a change room where someone's been hit and come back in floods of tears and nobody took it seriously. Nobody took it seriously. I sat there with the guy, but the guy was literally distraught and he had come from a different country as well Mm. to come and play football. And um, yeah, nobody really took it seriously. The guys were outside having a laugh about it and I had to sit there and bring the manager in and say, look, this is a serious issue here. Like I know he he may have been here and it's, you see it in change rooms, fights and things like that. Yeah. He's a guy that's come to the country with no family, no nothing, come to chase a dream. And he's been given this and nobody's here for him. So yeah, I've I've seen that side of it. It's not on that side of it at all. I do, I do feel like there's um, a lot of different chemistries that can block out a man being in touch with his feelings in a sport.
0: Like Football,
2: wow. Would
1: you say there is a certain type of when it comes to the structure of management, there's
0: yeah.
1: a certain type of people that basically prevent the change that needs to happen at that level when it comes to the mentality side of things?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a manager will see some form of issue with someone's mental state and just get rid of him, and get someone else in. That's 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 the um that's kind of like the... What's the word I'm looking for? The script book. The script book. It's it's the script book. Mm-hmm. When they're not doing what, they, what, you're, what you want them to do or they're not performing how you want them to perform, get the mag, get someone else in. It is a downside. It's a very, very big downside to the game because um, I've seen managers get rid of really good players just because they didn't want to deal with the, the issue at hand. And it, it affects the team. It obviously affects the team, but obviously... Going forward, it affects the person's mental state because they're thinking, "I'm giving my all, and I'm not getting anywhere."
0: Yeah. That's really really interesting. So I, I, I want to move on a little little bit um to the aspect of fans. Yeah. Um. So talk to us about your relationship with the fans, and I guess what was the big, the big learning curve for you playing in front of fans compared to just playing in front of a few parents?
2: I played a lot of games with um, quite big crowds and um, I kind of, I was kind of the person that was like they're not even there, just mm. play your game tried not to focus on them, but they, as much as you do that, they are there yeah. um, the biggest crowd I played in front of was at Maidstone, I think it was 2,400 people Okay and um it definitely has an effect definitely it's it's not a it's not a nice place mm. you have to have really thick skin it's not a nice place to be in the middle of a ground surrounded by all these people they definitely have an effect on when people say they are a 12th man they they are 100% mm. have a big influence on the way you perform
1: so obviously when things are going well that's that's great but when things are going are not going so well when it comes to abuse obviously in society right now one of the biggest topics is is the online abuse a lot of um, yeah footballers are getting. Well not just footballers, people in sports in general. What type of abuse would you receive on a bad day?
2: Um, is that from my own fans or away fans?
1: Um both.
2: I've I've never had abuse from my fans. Okay. Uh, well, never. Um away fans, Keys Louise. I can go back to a game I played <laughs> in Herne Bay at Herne Bay. And I'll never forget because it's quite funny. I had a a big beard at the time and some red boots and the ball had gone off for a throw-in. And I went to get the ball and there was an old guy. who was in a wheelchair. And for some reason, he just shouted out, you big black gay Muslim. And I was like, I thought to myself, first, that doesn't even make any sense what you just said to me. (laughs) I'm like, you paid your money to come here and shout this abuse at me. Like, Mm. (laughs) what's going on? Literally, that was the first, probably the first instance i have had of racism directed at me yeah in football and it was a it was a reality check it took me back a bit i didn't i wasn't offended as such where it would affect me but i had to really sit down in the change room afterwards and think to myself this is what people pay their money to come out of their house and do on a cold day uh, it was amazing to me
1: absolutely ridiculous
2: yeah. And literally I was just going to get a ball. There was no interaction between us beforehand. Nothing had happened. The guy just felt to shout that out at me. Yeah. It's, um, it can have a strain. I'm a person with thick skin. And I believe if you, if you don't have thick skin, maybe playing football at that kind of level is the wrong sport for you. It shouldn't be
0: that way, but that's the way it is. Yeah. Wow. That's, wow. Um, that's really thrown me. It's not that is a surprise it's just actually when you just hear such stories it just makes you think about you know you know what people actually go through Um, uh, I mean I guess the next question is you know this wasn't a I guess this wasn't a regular occurrence and with going back to that incident what did your teammates do Um, did they support you or was this just something that you had to deal with by yourself
2: I felt like it was, it was a mixture my team was a mixture of different people there was no minority kind of thing
0: yeah um,
2: but I think in this instance because it was the first time I experienced it I felt like it was just something I had to deal with myself because mm. I've never never experienced I've, I've experienced racism in my life
0: yeah
2: I'm playing a football match and being abused for just playing a football match it was something I'd never even comprehended like I was literally on the way home we, had, we took a coach on the way home I was literally just laughing to myself and it was like, what's, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, I was just, just going over something in my head. So I literally just took it on board and just realised like, wow, this is what people actually do in their life. You know, I don't I mean, think there's much that my teammates could have done about it. At that level, yeah. there's not much that you can do about it.
1: It makes you think, because we, we've heard many stories from people who have been in the game and have yeah. decided they don't want any of their kids to be in the game. And obviously, it probably takes a a certain type of mindset to survive um, all that abuse. Because we we see people in in high levels in the game who are who struggle with it. So, yeah. in terms of that, was there any of your teammates that received that type of abuse and found it more difficult to to handle?
2: Um, I've been a part of a team uh, years ago. They had a Chinese guy. Really good, really probably one of the best players on the pitch when we played, and um, a few teams when he used to get the ball, um, he used to be like he he definitely he wasn't number number he weren't number twenty seven, but when he used to get the ball, they used to be like number twenty seven number twenty seven yeah I have it. it fried rice and I'm I'll be like what what is got and one time I actually caught a referee laughing with the guy that done it, wow, and um, his English weren't great but he understood what they were saying. And, um, yeah, he took, he took that to heart. Even though he always had that smile on his face, he, he expressed it to us because he wasn't really good with his English. So, but we understood what he was saying and he wasn't happy at the fact that that's what he had to deal with. Just because they couldn't tackle him or get near him, they'd start with all of that. And it's just like, what? Yeah. Win by any means necessary, but that's a, that's well over the line to do that. As somebody's personal, it's a personal
0: personal comment like that, it's ridiculous. Wow. It's one of those untold stories um, at that yeah. level that, we, you know, we don't really speak about. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate you actually sharing these stories. Um, with regards to you, just a quick question. You said, you mentioned about you being thick-skinned. Where did you get that from? Was that from your background? Was You know, how, how did you um, develop being thick-skinned?
2: Yeah, I, I basically, um, I've grown up, I, I'm living in Kent now, but I grew up in Deptford Uh for about 32 years. I was in Deptford, so I'd seen everything. I'd seen people stabbed, I'd seen people shot. I'd heard everything. And um yeah, those type of things were kind of like trivial things compared to what I had to do with every day or what I had to see every day. Mm. So it kind of made me numb to that kind of, okay, you're saying that, it's just words, you're not really doing anything. I've seen someone be shot in the head last night. Mm. So it doesn't matter to me. Mm. So that's kind of where I developed the thick skin
0: thing. from. With regards to, um, you know, being a footballer, you did play at a high level. In hindsight, looking back, what do you think the reasons were that you didn't, you know, play at an even higher level? Looking back,
2: I feel like I've always had this issue where I feel like the managers and the people that run the teams expect a professional attitude without giving you a professional standard of management. And um that's not something I was prepared to do. I wasn't mm-hmm. prepared to compromise um me giving my whole effort, turning up for training on time, two times, three times a week to be coming in and having a manager yell in my face or use these obscene words to describe and It's just like, I just didn't want to do it after a while. Mm. I didn't want to do it. You, you travel up to Ipswich on a Tuesday to play 20 minutes and get belittled in front of the team. And I just be like, nah, this, is, this isn't for me. Because mm. it, it will only ever end one, two way, one of two ways. And I'm not here to be risking my freedom just for words and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's not worth it at all. So I feel like, um, had I been managed a bit better, maybe I would have continued to go on. Mm. But um, by that time, I'd the love was going. I could feel it leaving my body. So, yeah, called it a day at that level.
1: And with with management, in terms of the way they, they treated you, did you ever encounter... Was there ever a stereotype um, in terms of what they expect from a black player um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah yeah. How, how was it at that level because I've heard I've heard these I've heard stories many stories before but to hear it from from someone who's actually played from that level
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to say something you've heard already yeah. we are we're not trusted with the ball at our feet yeah. um, I've heard a lot of the time he's big he's fast he's strong
0: yeah.
2: play it over the top he'll chase it down They'll run after it, you know? And it's just like I can play football. Give me the ball to my feet. Yeah. And I've had that for I've had that for my whole life. And I and to my detriment, they're right. A lot of my players that I played with have said I was the type of player that made a bad pass look like a good pass. Because I'd always chase it down. It would never uh dead kick it so far in front of me and I'd always chase it down and keep it on like a good pass. Yeah. And that was kind of like I fit the description, so to speak, mm. of the big stroke that can run, but he can't play with the ball at his feet. So um yeah, I just feel like we are we're underappreciated. Yeah, we, we 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 are much better than we are looked upon in the football sense. Um I'm I'm really good with the ball at my feet. I'm not the best, but I'm good with the ball at my feet. But i have never heard an instruction for my whole playing time to pass it to his feet always into the channels or over the
0: top you'll run it down so sound like a runaway slave <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i mean i guess i, I could definitely identify with that but um if this is not about me it's about you. so hearing those things and and hearing you know um just kick it over the top and you know tyrants will chase it down was that an ego booster or did you ever think about what was actually being said? Did you ever really think about the the true depth of those kind of stereotypical um, viewpoints?
2: Yeah, no, not once did I sense the undertone of it. Not once. I, I thought it was a compliment. I took it as a compliment because it's how I played. Mm. But um, like, like you said before, looking back with hindsight, you can see the undertones that are there and the kind of generalizations of certain players or certain attributes. So now I can see it a lot more. And so to a certain extent, it's kind of hindering. Mm. It hinders your development because you can do a lot more than what they're asking of you. Yeah, And that ultimately could rule you out of a move somewhere. Someone you don't know who's watching, you could get the ball to your feet and play football. It may help you in your career, but, you know, yeah, at this age, definitely... Um, I see the undertones in it. What,
1: like Going through that, going through um, all of the experiences that you had in your career, what advice would you give to, to anyone who is looking to play semi-pro in terms of how they handle these type of situations?
2: In terms of handling the situation, find someone, find a confidant at a club and speak to them about it. The worst thing you can do is react in a bad way. Because um, once you react in a bad way, that's you blackboard for the whole of non-league football. No team will sign you. Once you're at a reputable club with a reputable manager um and you react, that's it. Because as much as we're different teams, all the managers speak outside of the football. And the minute he says, oh, that Tyrus, he's got an attitude, man. That one's not going to sign you. He's going to pass that on. It just goes around the whole league. So my advice would be, if you can, try and speak to the manager, speak to him uh, uh, man-to-man. If not, find a confidant at the club and express your your troubles there. Other than that, I would not advise dipping out at a club. I have done so, (laughs) and I have been banned and fined,
0: and it just didn't work out well for me talk to us about your 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 personality type so with regards to managers so some players like to speak to the manager on a regular basis others you know they you know they don't really mu- need much of a relationship so talk to us about w- what type of manager did you prefer to have i think
2: i've had them all and i can say that i preferred the man manager I had a manager at Irith Town and VCD called Tony Russell.
0: Yeah.
2: And he was, as much as we had our dif- differences, he was a very, very fantastic man manager. Mm. Um, if he saw something in your game that needed work, he'd come and put his arm around you and tell you about it. He'd he definitely let you know what you're doing wrong or right. He'd let he would speak to you if there's anything else going on outside of football. If you need a break, he would talk to you. And equally he listen. Yeah. Um I I find that I work best with the man managers rather than the group managers.
0: Yeah. How did you cope with people playing for your position? Were you friends? Were you were they enemies? Uh, or was there right balance? How 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 did that play out? Oh no we was it was always friendly
2: competition with me and my, my my peers. It was always friendly competition. There's been times when uh managers if you'd never believe the managers tried to play me at center back when I was a striker that was um leading the goal scoring chart and they would stick up for me even though it would cost them their place. they'd stick yeah. up for me and say, "No, that's not that doesn't work like that so um yeah, it's always been friendly competition. I've never fallen out with someone over positions in a team
0: no way. Okay. Another one. I I just love these, these questions that I asked in a previous podcast, but from a sports psychologist perspective. So now as a footballer perspective, can you talk to us about a time where the unity at the, at a club hasn't been good? How did you, I guess, what were your, um, your antidotes helping yourself get through such a difficult time?
2: Well, when there's unity issues, um a lot of people don't really rate the what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of people don't really rate the, the usefulness of team bonding. Yeah. Um there'll be times when we turn up for training and it'd be like, There's no training, we're going bowling or oh. we're gonna go and get a food. Yeah. Um these kind of little sessions really did help a lot of people that didn't see eye to eye. Yeah. I think it's really important that you can Get on with people away from football. Not saying that you have to be friends or you have to have each other's phone numbers and speak, but um, it's really, really helpful to the team if you can get on. And team bonding really did kind of put a lot of branches out there. A lot of olive branches were extended through that. Yeah. But, yeah. I definitely recommend team bonding if there is any harmony issues in a team.
1: Okay so from your experience playing football how do you pass that knowledge on to the future generation
2: um it's important for me to kind of open the dialogue with them uh, speak to them kind of advise them a lot of them will literally just contact me because they know I've been in the game for quite a while and if they've got an issue whatever the little things even if they need a pair of football boots or whatever and i can get them a pair they will just contact me and Speak to me that way.
1: So basically, a, me- a mentor for for the for the future.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, def- I definitely enjoy that role. Definitely, I don't mind sitting on the bench and letting a young
0: boy get his chance. How important do you think it is for ex semi-pro and pro players to be mentoring young young up and coming rising stars? Um, I think it's crucial because there is literally
2: no guidance for them. There's literally no guidance. Once they go into the, into the system, into the net, they're just another player, um, a player for a manager to use as he sees fit. And then when he's not doing or performing, get rid of. And uh, I think it's important they have someone that they can speak to or be advised by, because there's a lot of things in football that they may not be wise to because they're brand new to it.
1: With that being said, hmm. um, do you ever come across young footballers who you see a lot of potential in, but their mindset is what's holding them back?
2: A hundred percent. I see it quite frequently. Oh, how can I put it? A lot of them, some of them are product of the environment. They can't separate themselves from what they're used to and get into like a professional mindset and you can see it from football. You can see it in their work when they're, when they're going to work and how they carry themselves. Um, They're not willing to listen. You know, I'm not, I'm not someone that knows everything or claims to, but I always make sure I tell people that I'm never going to tell you something that is not beneficial to you. You don't have to listen to it, but I'm going to give you the advice anyway. Um A lot of, a lot of young players will hear how much, Um, money the other players get in and be like, oh, I need to get that because I'm better than him. And it's just like, you've got to earn it. That's why he's getting that. It's very prominent. It's very prominent. This is why we need people that can guide them in the game.
0: So I was, so I'm five minutes into it and um, I was watching a podcast on Rio Ferdinand's podcast and Ravel Morrison was on there. And essentially what Ravel Morrison said within those five, ten minutes, it was essentially about, you know, himself and um, him just not being right in the mind. And I stopped watching it because, for me, Ravel Morrison is one of the most talented youngsters that I've seen in this country that has not fulfilled his potential. He was unbelievable. So I Mm -hmm. guess um, my question to you, and I guess I, I don't want it to be a leading question, but... Is there a a, a paid place yeah. for there to be an advisory role for people like yourself at professional clubs to ensure that there aren't examples future examples of Ravel Morrison's?
2: Oh yeah, I, f- I feel like there is a there is a there is definitely a paid place. I feel like there is um you have at some clubs directors of football at some clubs you have youth development managers. Yeah. That um are kind of doing the role that you, you speak of. Yeah. Um and a lot of the time they're doing their role really well. It's just the, the mindset and the attitude of the player that they just can't get through to. Like Ravel Morrison's a prime example. He's such a good footballer, but inside of Manchester he grew up on guns, drugs, and everything like it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he, he would say he like like um like I said earlier, he's got to an age now where you can look back and say, I wish I did better, mm. so yeah, there's definitely places for that at the team even at lower levels, I feel like there's a lot of people that would do this voluntary mm. if the club's asked yeah i i one would definitely volunteer to do this um kind of be like a a guidance for the younger players or mentor. I definitely would do that for free, totally, so
0: there's definitely a place for that absolutely, so I guess um got one question. Left. yeah Sporting heroes. Who are your sporting heroes? It's a tough one. Sporting hero heroes or hero? Yeah, plural. Yeah, plural. By all means.
2: Kobe um, was definitely one. Kobe was definitely one. Yeah. Michael Jordan was definitely one for years and watching his documentary the other day kind of opened my mind up to a whole new side of it that I didn't know about.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Um football wise. It's really surprising for some people that because I'm a striker, uh, my favorite players were, apart from the obvious Messi and Ronaldo and things like that, my favorite players were Paul Scholes and Fernando Torres. So they're kind of Fernando Torres was definitely a sporting hero of mine. He is who I watched, who I tried to base myself on. Um, I'd, I know there was better strikers than him, but to me, there was no greater striker than Fernando Torres. Mm. He was everything I needed to be.
1: <laughs> what was the reason why you you picked them? Was it just because their ability on the ball? Or was it more than that?
2: It was, yeah, it was, it was footballing reasons. Yeah. Just footballing reasons, yeah. For Colby um, and Michael Jordan, it was because they were black. They were superheroes to me. Um, we we had our Linford Christie's and our friend Bruno's, but they, those two are elite on another level. Absolute mm-hmm. another level. And that was just... Although they do basketball, they can inspire you in your life. Apart from just school wise, so that's why that's why I picked those. But the others are just footballing reasons.
0: Any um other notable athletes that you admire from the mindset perspective? Serena Williams,
2: hundred <laughs> percent. Elite, yes. elite, elite, elite. <laughs> there's, there was a debate about how elite she is, and I'm just like, are you mad? Have <laughs> you seen what this woman has won? that like, she played when she was pregnant.
1: Like it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. people forget that. Yeah, people forget that.
2: <laughs> her, her, she is elite. If there was a definition of elite in a dictionary, her picture should be underneath it. 100. Yeah, 100 percent.
0: Um. I mean that's music to Ed and my ears because we're just absolutely massive, massive fans of Serena Williams, you know. Yeah our famous it's unbelievable. tennis player. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Tyrus, you have to come back on. Yeah. Um this was a very, 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 very insightful podcast. We really, really, really enjoyed it. Thank um, you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. We are definitely going to get you on and we can probably discuss other areas. And I guess for young listeners, you can, you know, how can they get in touch with you if they want you to mentor them? Um, yeah,
2: I'm on Instagram. Uh, my name is big underscore tips T I B B Z. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the same name. Um, just shoot me a DM if you need any advice. Literally shoot me a DM and we can take it from there, it's not a problem at all. Sure. More than accessible,
0: more than willing to help. Thank That's you very much. Um, guys, again, another really good pod, another pod where, you know, you definitely, as the listener, will will, will, will have got value and can definitely show this to either up-and-coming stars or even yourself. But um, until next time, guys, thank you for listening and take care of yourselves.